Hello and welcome to the Celeste Stein Show. I'm your host, Dr. Celeste Stein, and I am delighted that you've decided to tune in today. We have a very special guest today, and we're going to be having a special discussion on mental health. As we approach the holidays, you know, it's an especially tough time for many as we are typically engaged in gatherings with family members. And, you know, there are people we might be missing um, as far as people who are dear to us who may have passed on. Of course, many different emotions can certainly be triggered when we're out of our normal routine. And after COVID, it's a little less normal than ever. Today, my guest that will be joining me today is Valerie Carmel. She's a licensed clinical social worker, and she works counseling a number of people, especially African-American and Caribbean women who are professionals in their fields of expertise and study. And um, she provides, uh, you know, uh, all types of essential tools that they need to reclaim control over their own narratives. Valerie, I know you are a very busy woman doing a lot of holiday cheer uh, this weekend, and we do appreciate that you have decided to join us today. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Dr. Celeste, for the opportunity to really just have a chance to talk about something that is definitely near and dear to my heart, mental health. Yes, well, and, and right now, of course, these last couple of weeks have been particularly heavy with the recent suicide of Stephen Voss, also known as Twitch from the Ellen DeGeneres show. Of course, that was a big surprise because he seemed to be so happy, always posting on his social media, dancing with friends and family. And, you know, many are, you know, really saying with that type of public persona, you would never really guess that there were any internal struggles going on. And so as one who often examines mental health from the inside out, how do you react when you hear comments like, I never would have guessed it? Um, my answer is always the same, that you weren't supposed to guess it, right? The person who is truly struggling and is desires for people not to see works very hard for other people to not see that side of themselves. Um, So oftentimes it is the person who is the happiest, the most visible, um, the one who is at the forefront of always being on, who learns very, very quickly and how to continue to shield themselves from people knowing, you know, the deeper truths of what's going on. I would never would have suspected that that is so common, but I figured you would have a really good insight uh, from, you know, the type of work that you do every day. Now, the public breakdowns of people like Wendy Williams, uh, Kanye West, Nate Cannon, um, Meghan Markle, Mariah Carey, those are just to name a few. You Mm. know, these have been, you know, highly publicized which certainly, you know, highlights the severity of the subject of mental health. And a lot of us think, you know, if these people who we thought kind of had it all together at one time or another are having issues, what about the rest of us? You know, um, it seems that this subject of our mental health is one that people don't really wish to address. Why do you think that is? I mean, I think in a lot of spaces, the biggest thing is stigma, right? Um, the the fear of being labeled as, you know, depressed, being fear of labeled as anxious, right? Having anxiety, you know, bipolar disorder, whatever the disorder may be. And I think sometimes there is a lot of fear attached to what that stigma is and how other people may perceive them, right? Oftentimes the biggest thing is that mental health is seen as a sign of weakness, and one of the things people don't want to be seen as is weak. And and that tends to be the biggest barrier. Um, the other barrier also seems to be just a lack of knowledge and awareness around mental health needs, right? So many times when I'm working with someone, they'll describe as, well, I don't feel like myself, right? They can't really put a name or a title on what's actually going on. And 
oftentimes it's really through the therapeutic process where I'm able to describe to them what anxiety looks like, what depression looks like, to help them feel more in control of understanding what their symptoms are. So I think between the the lack of knowledge and the fear of being seen as weak is a, a very common barrier to people really having those conversations. Do you think this is more prevalent in the African-American community? Because I think it's a difference personally, you know, that there's more of a stigma in the African-American and even Latino communities that people don't often want to talk about mental health and even, God forbid, address, (laughs) you know, the issue. It's like people don't even want to talk about it. I mean, do you find um, in the work that you do, it's... uh, more of a stigma in the African-American and Latino uh, communities? Um, I I definitely would agree with that. I think research has shown um, that I believe about 20 African-Americans are 20% more likely to demonstrate more um, intense symptoms when it comes to their mental health needs. But oftentimes that's usually because they've, there's really been a delay in them seeking assistance. Right. So the issues have gone on for much longer um, and have really had an opportunity to really impact more of their occupational functioning. It's you know impacting them at work. It's impacting, you know, their relationships. And it's ultimately when things really kind of seem to fall apart is when people are actually seeking support. So I do think that um, research does definitely back up um, your perception. Um, But I've actually noticed a great increase in the amount of African-American and um, have several clients of mine who are, you know, Latino um, and from the Caribbean as well. My family is from Haiti um, who didn't speak about mental health. And this is, you know, almost uncharted territory where many of my clients are like the first people in their families who are going to therapy and being open about going to therapy. Right. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, that is the case. I'm also, you know, of Caribbean descent. And, you know, that's just not something that, you know, was talked about. So I think it is important to start to address it and maybe start to remove some of the stigma attached so that we can get on with being you know, more healthy um, as a society. Now, one of the uh, things that I found in looking um, some of the provisional data that I have received from the Centers for Disease Control, uh, the National Center for Health Statistics, uh, indicate that both the number and the rate of suicides in the U.S. has increased, you know, 4% from 2020 to 21 after two consecutive years of decline in 2019 and 2020. So the shutdown period, you know, during that period, the numbers actually went down. And as we are slowly coming out of the pandemic, we are seeing an increase. Can you give us any insight on what actually is happening here and why we might be seeing this particular increase right now? Well, for one thing, I think what what the shutdown actually did for a lot of people is that it took away the distractions, right? Mm -hmm. Took away our abilities to, you know, almost kind of placate ourselves with other things. You know, I'll go to a movie. I'm going to go to a spa. I'm going to go on a retreat. I'm going to, you know, get away from my husband or get away from my wife, so to speak. Um, And that provided people... um, without those kind of liberties, right? And so people really had to scale down, really reduce their um, exposure to social spaces. And now we're asking people to get back to normal, right? And so a person who has really, hasn't really been around large crowds for over a year, when you start going back into those spaces, there tends to be a shift in your response to these experiences. Right. Whereas before you may have gone to a movie and not thought anything about it. But now when you're going to a movie, you're worried, OK, well, can I sit here? Or I need to sit this place or I'm going to keep a mask in my bag or, yeah. you know, you have all of these different thoughts that are now um, ultimately being created because of a new experience of the pandemic. And oftentimes, if you did not have great coping skills to begin with, when you are now in a new space and a new experience, 
those even those coping skills you had before really being taxed and really being strained. And so you're seeing a lot more people kind of coming out of it and not really knowing how to adapt to their, you know, new normal. Yeah. Well, I see um, the numbers are starting to increase as I go out and about. I'm seeing more people in the theaters. I'm seeing more people eating out and that kind of thing. And that's that's changed even over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I think people are really starting to get out. But of course, we should all be cautious, as I've also read that the numbers are going back up as far as COVID is concerned. So, you know, we just we need to kind of take it easy, obviously, and take it slow. Now, one of the things I also wanted to mention that um, I found interesting as far as data from the CDC also indicated that the increase in suicides was actually higher among males which was at uh, 4% than um, females, which is at 2%, as was the increase in the suicide rate uh, plus 3% for males and 2% for females. And so in terms of uh, data based on sex and uh, age, men were more prone to commit suicide with the largest number of males being between the ages of 15 to 24 with an 8% increase. What do you think is happening within that particular age group that needs to be addressed uh, in, in that age group of men from your experience? Um, I think I think it's very multifactorial, right? So research has shown that one of the most um, protective factors as it relates to mental health is um, social support, your sense of community, right? Mm. And as women, we tend to be a little bit more socialized, right? And the experience of having friends and groups and being involved and being and and being socialized to really talk about how we feel all the time, right? You know, you may not necessarily talk to your partner, but you'll speak to your your friend, your homegirl, about what's kind of going on in your life. You know, we have sisters, cousins, people that we tend to be a little bit more open to discussing more of the internal processes of what we're experiencing. And men just aren't socialized that way, right? They're not socialized to open up and talk about feelings, identify and label their emotions. And I think that that is really at a detriment to their mental wellness, because oftentimes they're they're struggling to even identify the words to describe what they feel. And that's extremely frustrating to experience something and not be able to communicate it to someone else, let alone understand it for yourself. And what that tends to lead to is you shutting down even more, you keeping it more into yourself because you can't ha- you don't have enough of the language and the verbiage to communicate it to somebody else. So I definitely think the socialization piece has um, a really big impact on that. Um, also, sense of social supports, having people that are really open to talking about those aspects, um, and also as it relates to, to roles as well. You know, as a male, there is a lot of of perception there's a big perception of them being strong, right? And again, having to open up and discuss how they're feeling and, you know, I'm having a hard time. These are things that I'm struggling with. Oftentimes they're not met with compassion and understanding. They're often met with, you know, more almost toxic masculinity, man up, you know, suck it up, right? And Mm -hmm. so those kind of things also continue to, be a real burden on the mental health as it relates to males. How do you, how do you think we go about uh, changing that, Valerie? It's like um, these are you know pervasive behaviors that you know have existed for a long time in society. That you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, the whole toughen up, you know, be a man, all that kind of thing. And so I can see where it would be uncomfortable to come forth and say, hey, I'm feeling this way or that way. I mean, how can we help? I mean, what what can we do um, to kind of, I guess, encourage and, and be supportive? Um, I would really say part of that is just to begin creating a space of acceptance, right? And allowing people and especially males to really know that it's okay to feel, Right. It's, you know, your feelings are given to you 
as part of the human experience, right? And I think that as we can create more spaces of acceptance, then people will begin to have more freedom. You can't be free to fully express how how you're how you feel, the way you see the world, the way you see yourself, if it is frequently going to be met with judgment. And until people feel that they are able to create spaces where there is more acceptance and they have they're able to be more authentic in those spaces, then the freedom to be able to discuss how how they are experiencing their lives becomes a lot more feasible. Mm-hmm. I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to get into some of the other sort of coping mechanisms, talk about that in the next uh, couple of minutes of of what can be done uh, over the holiday season if you suspect something isn't quite right with one of your friends or loved ones. So we'll we'll come back in just a moment. And when we do, we'll we'll get into that and a few other little things before we uh, close up today. So thanks for joining us and, and we'll be right back. A lot of things have come to a screeching halt due to COVID-19, but you should know that the court system in Tennessee is still open and holding in-person hearings for orders of protection and other types of abuse cases. If you have a hearing date, double-check on where your hearing will be held. If you need assistance on an order of protection or temporary restraining order, contact the Legal Aid Society at 1-800-238-1443 or visit our website at www.las.org. And welcome back. I'm your host, Dr. Celeste Stein. You're watching The Celeste Stein Show on BBS Radio and iHeartRadio, and we thank you for tuning in. We're talking about a very important subject today, mental health, and I have as my guest, Valerie Carmel. And Valerie, I want to say, um, you know, what you just said was very powerful, um, and and they say knowledge is power. And knowing this information obviously gives us the momentum to do something about it. As we move beyond the stigma associated with mental health, let's talk a little bit about what we can actually do to make those who feel like they're actually going through something and that they're all alone suffering in silence, you know, how can we bring them out of that? Because I know sometimes it can get really uncomfortable to have a conversation with someone who really is going through something. And I sometimes, I'm, I'm going to be the first to admit, I sometimes don't know what to do or what to say. You know, what What would you say to, to someone like me when it's awkward, it's uncomfortable? What What can we, um, you know, do so that maybe we can pull the information we need to know out of that person so that they're not feeling like expressing themselves is such a, a, a burden, you know? Um. That That's a really, really great question, because I think that that's such a common space that many people are in. Um, and honestly, I think that's the reason why most people don't ask the hard, un- uncomfortable questions, because we don't like to be uncomfortable, right? As humans, we, we want to know the things that are going to happen and be able to feel like we're going to be effective in that space. Um, one of the first things to be that I think is really important is one, to acknowledge that you know you don't have the answers, that Mm. your goal isn't to solve the other person's problem. Your goal is to simply let them know that they're not alone. One of the the most common statements that I have clients will tell me, especially the ones who have experienced, you know, suicidal thoughts, um, and when they don't express it to their loved ones, even the ones, you know, who are right next to them and reside with them, is that I felt alone. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing heavier than feeling alone in a room full of people. Yes, very much so. I I think such a great point um, because, you know, you meet people and uh, they like, we were talking about earlier, uh, like Twitch, you know, they can seem like the life of the party out there dancing, having the best time ever, you know, and that's your perception. So this sort of complete opposite, (laughs) 
you know, in terms of how this person is, you know, it can take people aback. And and that's why I think a lot of people sometimes don't know, you know, what to do, what to say, you know, so very important that we, we, you know, look at what we can, can do and look for telltale signs um, when it's more than just, I'm feeling a little down today. I mean, I want to talk about that. What are some of the things that we can look for as, uh uh-oh, this might be going in a direction that we should be paying a little bit closer attention? What are some things to look for? Um, I would say one, people, you know, people tend to create these plans of when they believe they're not going to be here, when they know their, their plan is to no longer be here. Mm. Some of them may see is people starting to give away prized things, right. Um, or calling people to, you know, just almost kind of say their goodbyes without actually saying the word goodbye. Mm. Um, and I believe recently there was a story of a man who was, um, a principal who I think he was a middle school or elementary school principal who ended up taking his life. And that was one of the things that he also started to do. He started to call particular people and, you know, tell them how much he loved them and, you know, giving them advice for the future without actively saying that this is what's happening. And I think that can be a very um, almost innocuous way of saying goodbye without actually telling someone goodbye. So definitely if you start seeing people wanting to give away prize things, um, asking about, you know, hey, um, do you mind, you know, watching my pet? You know, you've always loved, you know, caring for my pet. Would that be something you would do, right? So almost kind of trying to prepare everyone without actually coming right out and saying it. Mm-hmm. Now, I wanted to mention, you know, this Christmas is actually going to be a little bit different uh, for my own family. We lost my dear mother in May. And so, you know, we really don't know what to expect this Christmas. And um, it's interesting to have siblings and, you know, their grandchildren and, and a great grandchild. But as you kind of you know, go through something you've never gone through before, um, you start to wonder, okay, I feel fine, but I'm like, well, if there is a family member that might be struggling, you know, or, you know, friends and loved ones, you know, people, especially as they age, you know, they may miss a dear friend that has passed and never have to deal with that, you know, uh, or have had to deal with that before, you know, around, around the holidays. So my question is, I guess, what um, can you do with friends and loved ones um, who might be going through a particularly difficult time at the holidays? Um, one, call them, say hello, check on them, um, do that you know would be meaningful for them, right? Oftentimes when people are dealing with grief, sometimes people want to separate themselves as much from the memories of the thing um, or the person that really that's really kind of stirring up some difficult emotions for them. Um, but oftentimes it's usually the things that are connected to that person or connected to that memory that also can give them the most peace, right? Um, reasons why people tend to struggle is because the rituals and the traditions that they once had are are no longer present anymore, right? And so the goal in those spaces is to create a new legacy, create a new tradition, create a new ritual, right? If it was always, you know, maybe, you know, grandma was the one who always made the sweet potato pie and all of those things. Okay, well, what can we do that honors her, Right? And still allows us to feel connected to that memory. So right. that memory is, isn't met with pain and grief and so much heaviness, but it can also be something that we do as a family um, to really kind of honor that life so that we kind of change the, the connection and change the experience attached to that particular memory. Yeah, because you know you get in that routine and it's like, oh, 
that's not going to happen this year. Uh-oh, you know, where mm-hmm. do you go? How do you punt, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm so glad you said that. And then the point you made earlier on about pick up the phone, give someone a call. I wanted to point out as you were saying that I was thinking about, you know, we are in the digital age. And I noticed with my young people, especially children and what have you, they want to text. They, they rarely... <laughs> pick up the phone and give people a call. And I swear to you, it's like sometimes don't, even if you're, you're far away or what have you, you know, maybe FaceTime, you know, uh, your, your siblings or your mother, your, your father, whatever FaceTime, um, or, um, you know, meet up for coffee maybe, or, you know, bring over a present, you know, it's been really difficult, obviously, with COVID, you know, people have, you know, we started with that whole social distancing and, you know, and people are like, I don't know, you know, those numbers are going back up, you know, I hear people talking right now, you know, so it's been a really different time. But then when you go through something, it's like, oh, no, I mean, you know, what do you do now? You know, so that that was a great, you know, a great point. Um, Let's talk a little bit about self-love, you know, because I know I have some special things I like to do for myself. But, you know, I think it's important to to talk about that and tell um, women and men, obviously, that um, take time to take care of you, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the hardest things, especially in the midst of the holidays, is um, it's just so busy. (laughs) busy. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm literally sitting in my car at a volunteer. (laughs) I'm passing out toys that I had to take a a quick break. So you guys can kind of hear people in the background. I apologize. But, you know, it's just been a really busy time. And even me, I have found myself... um, struggling a little bit. I actually suffer from anxiety. Um, And so, you know, I work from home, right? So now after a week and a half of being out and running around and seeing lots of people, started to find myself a little bit more anxious than I typically feel on the day to day. Um, And one that required for me to say, okay, I need to one, rest. Mm -hmm. A lack of sleep is a major, plays a major, major role in your mental wellness. It makes you more reactive. It makes you irritable. It makes you cranky. You know, so making sure that you are resting, making sure you're eating good, healthy, nutritious food. I know there's lots of snacks and cookies and cakes, (laughs) all great things. Um, But when we are not feeding our bodies appropriately, right? It tends to leave us feeling more sluggish and and feeling heavier than we normally would feel. So definitely making sure that we are putting in time to maybe squeeze in an extra nap, okay? 30 <laughs> minutes, 45 minutes, set a timer, try to get in a little <laughs> bit more rest just so that you have enough energy stores, you know, try to you know, reboot a little bit, right? We, we make sure to plug in our phones. We got to make sure take some time to plug in our own selves as well. Right. Well, and I was just going to say, um, you know, once those basic things, you know, making sure you're eating, making sure that you're getting enough sleep and all that, once that's taken care of, got to make sure you start with the basics. But I also do little things um, that, you know, I just really enjoy doing. And that's everything from, I, I love bubble baths. That's my thing. I just, I will go away from the world, lock everything down, light up some candles. And I just love just relaxing, you know, and just, that's what you have to do sometimes. Just take some time, you know, for yourself. And then in addition to that, I journal a lot. And as one who has completed a doctoral program while working full-time, a very busy job and raising a family, um, I, I not only journal, but I also read a lot and I write down um, the the goals that I have and the things that I wish to do and accomplish. And I would, you know, highly recommend that because for me, as I write all these things, I mean, it might be three or four pages of stuff that I'm working on at any given time that I'm trying to get done from writing up radio show questions to (laughs) research and what have you. But 
I find that if I write everything out, I go back and I look at it and I start checking things off and checking things off because I think when you have all these things going on, quite frankly, you feel overwhelmed. You know, that's what can really lead people. It's like they have such a big mission or such a big purpose, especially people. The more I think, the more people are out there, say, even in the public eye and the more responsibilities that they have that people don't see you know, the greater um, the burden, I think, that is felt. Uh, other people don't realize all the things that those people that we mentioned earlier, a lot of the celebrities that they're dealing with on a regular basis that the average person doesn't have to deal with. So I think if you can write things down, you, you know, as you check them off, you will feel a, a great sense of accomplishment. And you'll be less likely to procrastinate because at least if you got three things checked off that list in a day, you know, you've got something done. And then by the end of the week, if you do three things each day, you've gotten, you know, uh, 21 things off your list. So that's how I kind of, you know, eat that elephant one bite at a time. Right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what you have to do. Yeah. I think a great, um, practice. I also journal, teach all, teach many of my clients to journal. Um, I have a male client of mine who I got journaling and that has been the thing that has completely reduced his anxiety is taking time to literally just write things down, um, writing down his own thoughts, writing down his own feelings, those kind of things. Even if you aren't ready to maybe communicate that to another being, right? Those pages are just going to absorb whatever you write with no judgment, no worries, nothing to that effect, right? So it allows a really safe space to kind of get all of your thoughts out. Um, and even if it's not even coherent, right, you can just do a brain dump and just get right. all things that are on your mind on a piece of paper. And that can really help to alleviate some of that, some of those stressors. Um, another great strategy that I really encourage uh, many of my clients to do is vocalization. Um, and that is something where you could be either humming a song that really, that you really enjoy, that puts you in a good mood or actively singing out loud. Though being able to do that creates the vibration, right? That kind of lulls you a little bit and allows you to kind of regulate your emotions a little bit better. And I always compare it to when you're, you know, rocking a baby to sleep, right? You rub them, you sing to them a little bit, and they tend to kind of automatically soothe. Well, those strategies still work for the grown-ups. Don't think just because you've passed the infant stage that those same things don't work for you. So um, that's also a great strategy that can really help to kind of brighten your mood and put you in a in a better state when you do feel a little bit heavy. Yeah, and I think I'd also say, too, don't be afraid to reach out to your friends. I think, you know, as we mentioned, women tend to do that a little bit more than men do. You know, it's like, hey, girl, let me tell you, you know, like mm -hmm. <laughs> get together and, you know, all is well. But but guys do, you know, they want to be tough, like we said, and, and don't tend to do that. But they they should, you know, um, sometimes and, and women need to hear this. They don't need to always be there for every little thing. You know, you, you know, give your, your man some trust and let him go and spend some time with the fellas. Let him go. And, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, they need to unwind, you know, just like we do. So let them go. You'll be much happier, you know, uh, at the end of the day. Um, one thing I wanted to say to, um, you know, when it comes to mental health, I mentioned, you know, sometimes I do uh, shy away uh, because I, of, of discussing the tougher issues because I'm not a mental health professional. But as family, you know, how can we encourage others to seek help when you really think they may need it? What can you I mean? You know, it's a delicate thing, but what can we do or say? Um, I think you can. One, be honest, right? And and by that meaning really almost kind of call them out, right? And say, you know, I've noticed these things. I'm worried about you. Mm -hmm. How can I support you best? Mm -hmm. 
Does that mean, you know, do you want me to sit with you when you have to make that first call? Do you want me to help you look for, you know, therapists or or, or spaces that you can be a, become a part of to really feel a lot more supported? I think one of the things is that people tend to be offended, right? When you say, well, you know, I, I think therapy might be a good, might be a great option. But I remind my clients in the spaces where they've had people tell them that, I said that that is actually an act of love. That means that I'm concerned about your well-being and believe that you deserve to be healthy and whole and feel good about your life. That is an act of love for me to tell someone that, hey, I noticed that there's been a change and I think that there is a way that things can be better. Let me help you do that. Um, And I think that's a stigma that continues to really kind of hold many people back is the fear that being able to say that to someone, they're going to be offended, right? But it's all, but a lot of times it's all in how you say it, right? Um, And providing them with the the clear reasons why you feel like things are a little bit off with them. Maybe they're shifting away from how they normally would be. Um, You know, they're dressing differently. They're not taking care of much. You notice different things about that. Say that. Because oftentimes people think that they're doing a better job of hiding it than sometimes they really are. And it's usually that conversation that lets them realize, oh, wow, it's worse than I may have thought. Mm. Mm -hmm. Now is the time that I do have to do something about it. But if everybody else is just acting like it's the big elephant in the room and nobody wants to say anything, they think that they're doing a great job of hiding it. Mm. Yeah. Well, but, you know, I I would just say, you know, bringing up that subject of of therapy, um, you know, for some people, it's just just I don't know. It's the big white elephant in the room and it's there. Nobody wants to talk about it. You know what I'm saying? They really they they just don't don't want to kind of bring it up. But I I don't know. Do you have any tips on ways you can actually I know you mentioned you know, letting that person know you really care about them and for them. But is there a a, a right way to kind of and politically correctly kind of get into what, you know, what you can kind of say in a non-threatening or judgmental way to say, hey, I think, you know, it'd be a good idea maybe to, to you know, seek some, you know, professional assistance. Um. One way that I think people can really do that is to initiate the conversation, not about the person, right? So let's say, you know, you have concerns about maybe somebody that you care about is depressed, right? We just had, you know, in the news some, some you know, with the loss of Twitch, um, it's national news, right? Global news. And so initiating the conversation like that and talking about like, wow, I wonder what he was really going through. Like, I wonder what, and really just open the doors and begin to also share transparently maybe some of the things that you were feeling. Like, I wouldn't know what to do. I can't imagine how, you know, he may have been feeling, but I would lo- would have loved to be able to to know how to best help him and then ask a question. Like, right. if that was, what would you need? You know, I want to make sure that I am supporting all the other people in my life in a ways that really matter to them and and then go into the question, right? I think one of the things that can be difficult is, you know, people feeling judged, right? But when you ask a question to hear what their thoughts are, it allows them some space to really begin to open up the door and maybe begin to share, especially if you are also sharing, Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, let me take a quick break. Um, when we come back, we're going to just get ready to wrap up here. We're almost uh, finished, but we're going to take a commercial break and uh, we'll be back right after this. When it comes to relationships, there are some obvious signs you can use to spot someone who might be abusive. 
First, they have a tendency to want to rush into a relationship. They may also show signs of jealousy and mistrust, and you could find they expect you to be perfect and will try to cut you off from other important relationships. They could also be abusive towards animals and children. To learn more about the signs of dangerous individuals and how you can identify and avoid unhealthy relationships, contact the Legal Aid Society at 1-800-238-1443. And we're back uh, in the Greater Tampa, coming to you from the Greater Tampa area, and I have my special guest today, Valerie Carmel, who is a licensed clinical social worker, and we're talking about, um, you know, suicide and mental health, uh, especially during the holidays, and so I wanted to um, kind of uh, talk a little bit about what... uh, we are, are are going over here um, a lot of um, great information that Valerie has brought up in terms of what one can do to, um, you know, during the holidays, you know, reaching out to family members, you know, picking up that phone, giving a phone call uh, when uh things don't seem right, you know, actually seeing that person face to face, you know, Valerie has brought some great points up um, that are just incredible in terms of what you actually need to do. We've talked a little bit today about the stigmas that might be associated with mental health and just some of the issues um, that come up uh, from time to time. But, you know, it's like there are things that we can do. We're not powerless. And um, there are many things that uh, she's mentioned that we can do. And so uh, as we uh, continue our conversation here, um, another question um, that, you know, I had for uh, you, Valerie, um, I see that uh, you, you're you back with us again, thankfully. Um, we were, you know, talking a little bit about some of the things you can do to help uh, if someone um, seems to be going through a rough patch there um, and really needs to seek uh, counseling. And, you know, the fact that bringing up the subject of counseling isn't often easy, but we can, uh, in a non-judgmental, as you just mentioned, or threatening way, we can kind of, you know, bring it up by, you know, referring to someone else. Uh, As you mentioned, the national news about Twitch really has a lot of people uh, thinking. So um, when someone, uh, you know, shares that uh, things aren't okay, um, I mentioned earlier, I'm not the mental health professional. I think one thing I wanted to say that I think it's also very, very important that we be a great listener and maybe don't overshare so much because sometimes people are really trying to get something off their chest and it's not always an easy thing. But like if we're talking the whole time, we are not listening. So how important is it that we be good listeners? If that person is really been holding in a lot of emotions for quite some time, having a safe space to really just open up is really important. So one of the things that I will typically think if we start with sharing a little bit, you if you want to be the person who speaks with the least. Right, you want to speak the least. So you give that person the space and then you kind of validate you know, what they're going through, right? You, that doesn't require for you to share. Sometimes it's just nodding your head like, wow. You know, really kind of letting that person know that you are fully engaged in the conversation. Because oftentimes it's as they are describing what they've been experiencing and they're hearing it outside of themselves for the very first time is when they also begin to recognize I am actually struggling maybe a little bit more than I have even been, you know, admitting to myself, right? And so sometimes you need to hear yourself say it in order to recognize what you actually need in those moments. So being, you know, intentional about not being the person who speaks the most is also very, very important um, to, 
to really kind of allow that person to feel like there's a lot of active listening, that you are engaged, that you are nodding your head, that you are giving them eye contact, not looking at your watch and checking your phone every second, really trying to be present in this conversation will really allow them to feel like, okay, I can, this is a good space and a good, good ground to kind of open up and really speak on how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. I know in reading a little bit about your background, I know you work a lot with busy uh, executives and people who are working in profession, pro, you know, various professions that might be stressful and what have you. Um, what are some of the things that you come across in working with that group that um, I don't know might be different from working uh, with others and um how are you able to help them in in their day-to-day um, struggles and things that they're going through? Um, I think the first part is normalizing their experience. Right? Times people will share information and say, well, you know, I don't know, I'm, I might be the only person who feels this way. And then I have to quickly tell them, no, this is actually a very common thing. You feeling overwhelmed by starting this business yeah, that's how most people feel when they start start a business, right? Right. You know, these, these are very important things to acknowledge because I think people are oftentimes comparing themselves to maybe another person's story and seeing how somebody else may look very poised and put together and thinking that because I'm having these struggles that I'm doing something wrong. Um, so by really normalizing what they are feeling really allows them to step away from judgment and look at themselves with a lot more compassion. Right. That's so important. And, you know, I also think there's a saying that my mom used to always say, and I always think about this, it comes to heart, you know, uh, she always would be like, you know what, tomorrow's another day. And the thing is, you know, I just watched a really interesting, uh, it was like a little segment that Tyler Perry put on. Mm. And I thought it was really interesting because he was talking about how he allowed Meghan Markle and Harry to stay with him when they were going through all their struggles. He They stayed at uh, his mansion and he started talking about his own mental health issues. And he said that um, he actually uh, pondered, you know, suicide. And he said, I think back now, if at the time I was thinking about doing that, had I... <laughs> done what I was thinking of doing, just all the blessings I would have missed out on. And sometimes, you know, as they say, it's always darkest before the dawn. I really, truly believe that, that a lot of times um, we think that like there's no, you know, uh, tomorrow, but there is. And sometimes if you just says, my mom, just keep living. Tomorrow is another day. You got to just keep going. And the best is truly yet to come. And so I think it's it's awesome when you can hear from people like that who you think haven't had a care in the world or struggles, but have really gone through it, you know, and uh, are able to overcome and, and get through some things. So I thought that was great that he uh, shared that. Um what do you say to people? I, I love getting that advice from my mom, but what do you say to people who feel their world might be falling apart? One, I let them, I acknowledge that. One, first and foremost. Yeah, it it likely is. But just because it's falling apart doesn't mean that it doesn't have an opportunity for it to come back together. Everything in life that has to be hated ultimately has there needs to be a level of destruction before it right for building a new building or creating something new something bigger something better the thing that was there before it has to be torn down and sometimes that that is also the experience that we have from a humanistic side of things right there has to be a shedding of a lot of things in our lives that sometimes may have done us really really well that doesn't mean that the things that are t- being torn down were bad things. They just sometimes aren't the things that allow you to continue to grow into the next space, right? Mm-hmm. One, 
acknowledging that yes, things you are losing things in your life, and yes, this is a challenging time for you, but also rec- helping them to recognize that in every loss, there are also things that you are gaining. And so allow them to grieve the things that they're losing while also looking forward to things that they could gain. Because I think when you are in a state of depression, you don't think about anything you can gain. All you think about is what you're losing. And it gives you a very narrow view on your life and on on your experiences. But if you can allow yourself to be brought out a little bit and become a little bit more broad in your view, it opens up a lot more space for hope. So, right. So great points. And I know uh, we have a few more minutes before we wrap up about three minutes here. So before uh, we get ready to wind down, there's one more thing that I think we haven't talked about that I would just like to devote a a short amount of time to, but that is sometimes um, we're dealing with things beyond mental health. It may be someone who has a drug problem, an alcohol problem, that kind of thing. Um, Those situations are a little bit more complex, um, but what needs to happen in terms of intervention when you also have those as added components of the depression or of whatever the mental illness might be. Because I think a lot of the cases that I have seen, like that come through the court system and things like that, are related to a drug problem or other things. You know, they're it all kind of ties in together. It's sort of a little vicious cycle. So um, how how do you address that when that's a component of the mental health illness? Um, definitely making sure that we are um, acknowledging the fact that there is a substance abuse issue that's actually occurring, right? Um, oftentimes, people who end up with substance abuse issues at the root of that is a mental health issue, right? They're utilizing substances to kind of help them as a means of coping, right? It's helping them to mask maybe symptoms, mask, you know, some of the challenges that they're having, right? If you're a person who's dealing with a lot of social anxiety, you constantly have to be on, but you feel, but you're better able to perform and you're the, with alcohol in your system, right? Then the thing that initially may have helped now becomes a thing that is now a crunch and is now more hurting than helping. So recognizing that oftentimes they are one in the same and making sure that they are being connected to not just mental health services, but also substance um, abuse services as well. Um, There are many clients, there are many therapists who are trained in dealing with co-occurring disorders, which is how it's referred to in the clinical world of both substance and substance abuse issues, as well as mental health. Right. So, so very important. Um, Is there any information you'd like to share also before we depart on if someone is really struggling and going through and they don't feel they have anyone to talk to, uh, where can they reach out to? Um, So number one, first and foremost, is always the National Suicide um, Prevention Hotline. Um, That number is 988. It is open 365 days a year, um, 24 hours a day. Um, I also created on my website a starting therapy guide, right? So what things to look for, it's filled with resources, questions to ask, and things of that nature that is available for free on my website that people can download and be able to utilize to help them figure out what are the steps for them locating their own um, mental health therapist. What is that website, if you could give that to us? Absolutely. It is ValerieCarmel.com, V-A-L-E-R-I-E-C-A-R-M as in Mary, E-L.com. Wonderful. Well, I tell you what, you have been a wealth of information. I am so thankful for you uh, for coming on today. You have been incredible. And I know this is information that we need to get out to people. And I'm sure uh, you're just doing wonderfully well in, you know, helping so many people. And we thank you, you know, for the work that you're doing. It's amazing. So thank you very much. That is all the time that we have for now. You've been listening to the Celeste Stein Show. Thank you so much for watching and we'll be back. Please be sure to tune in to BBS Radio as well as iHeart, which radio station one can be found on iHeart. And don't forget to like, 
subscribe and share on my YouTube channel. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching.